Hello, Simon. Hello, Sam. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's you and you're on the interwebs. It's amazing. We've spoken um, a few times today. Yeah, I said hello to you at least three times on this but particular every time, day. Every time we have to do it again and be excited. I'm always excited to say hello to you, so mm-hmm. it's fine. We didn't have any technical problems. You just had other things you wanted to tell me about. Uh-huh. We spoke outside of, of a recorded conversation for a change. Oh my God, you're breaking the fourth wall right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> the third wall, whatever. Well, you know, as one is one to do. As one is one to do. So yes. what's up, Sam? Well, I'm unemployed as of Tuesday, which wow. I'm, I'm oddly excited about, actually. Yeah, that's what is we that- spoke about earlier. Yeah. Are, are you supposed to be excited when you're newly impendingly unemployed fuck yes whenever you quit anything you're supposed to be excited because it means stuff's going to change exactly we don't know if it's going to be a good change (laughs) so what's extra exciting is that i am i have no idea what i'm doing next it's one of those liberating step off a cliff sort of quitting moments which i've never done before actually i've never really quit anything um Um, yeah i think the last time i felt this way was in high school so (laughs) i'm terribly jealous of you Uh, i remember it being a a pleasant sensation what did you what did you quit in high school Uh, it's probably a relationship I don't know. I as just, long as it wasn't high school. Yeah, I just <laughs> like I can't remember a useful quit uh, in recent memory. Actually, Aww. that's bullshit. I can. Um, no, you totally can. And it usually uh, has to do with work. Yeah. As does your uh, most recent quit. Although you've been quitting lots of things. Uh, I of have. Late. Actually, I've just been giving lack of fucks to the universe. And Mm -hmm. well, that's not true. Like, I mean, they're all things that I I continue to care about and did care about very deeply. Uh Um, But yeah, it's been a year of letting go of things, you know, quit a long relationship, quit a job that I've been in for five years and loved deeply. But it's it's amazing. Is this an existential crisis? (laughs) I think it's a a quarter life crisis. Yeah. Uh I think it's because I'm about to turn 27 and in my head, for some reason, that's the year that I will be a grown up because that's when all the people die. No. (sighs) You're a baby, Sam. Yeah. You're the youngest person I know. That joke's getting tired, hey? (laughs) But you are. Ah, well, I mean, what's actually been amazing is I have been feeling quite young again in in the sense that um, because I was initially planning on moving overseas, which I am now no longer planning on doing, I'm still going to the States for a few months, but, Mm -hmm. you know, coming back afterwards, I canceled all of my insurance and I sold my car and I moved in with my parents. So I don't have a rental agreement anymore. And I realized the other day I have no bills. I have nice. no bills. None I really have to pay. You wow. know, I'm on pay as you go with my con- my cell phone contract. Everything in my life is stuff I can pause. And it's been an amazingly liberating feeling to know I don't actually have to earn a cent of money for a few months. And I can just go with the wind and see, sniff around, sniff around the corners of the universe until I found mm. something that smells delicious. I'm particularly jealous now, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Some of this is your advice. You're the one who always keeps telling me never never get into debt. It's very good advice. It is fantastic advice and it's one of the best things to quit if you can. But but yeah. quitting in general is just awesome. It's mm. it's arguably the most important thing we do as human beings. We don't we don't mm. have 
we, we don't have power over much in this universe of ours. Mm. Um, mm. But the one thing we can do is go, no, God damn it, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the, the kind of the second you do, it's amazing uh, how much you realize you could be doing all the things that you, you could be doing yeah. every, every minute of every day when someone isn't telling you this is the thing that you're supposed to be doing next. Mm. And it's brave and it's difficult. And so I am always in awe of people like you who are able to just go, no i'm not (laughs) fucking doing this anymore because Mm. i think there's so many of us uh, who are stuck in things big things and small things where we know that this isn't right and we know that we probably should be doing something else but we're scared Mm. we're scared of what it'll mean we're scared of change we're scared of upsetting people we're scared of letting people down Mm. um and it's just it's i mean it's bullshit it's just cognitive dissonance and and something we need to overcome, but it's difficult. You have to be brave, and it's it's mm. daunting. And change is always scary. Uh, sometimes it's as good as a holiday. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like the loose change in your pocket. But oh. but you yeah. need to. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm proud of you, Sam. Well done. Thank you. Thank you have you, superpowers Simon. that not many Yay. people possess. <laughs> no, everyone has this power. Everyone, every anywhere could wake up in a morning and just decide to say no to yeah, everything. That's, but how that's, many that's, people that's fucking do? cool. No one does, yeah. So, but I feel like ultimately all humans are afraid of is the dark. Like it's the little inner five-year-old. I, I've been ruled by my inner five-year-old for years, you know. It's the uh-huh. fear of not knowing what I'm going to do when I wake up on Wednesday next week, really. Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's all that. It's, it's fear of not knowing. Well, but, it's also um, liberating. It's so liberating, not knowing. It is amazing. Yeah, it's but, electrifying. You know, it's not just cognitive dissonance, I suppose. It's also sunken cost. So, yeah. you know, you've got all these things you've invested time and effort in, and so now you perceive them to have more value than they probably mm. do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and to let go of all of that stuff... Well, like I said, it's brave. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, economics uh, can describe emotional states so well. Yeah. I mean, that sunken cost analogy mm. is just – it's such a good one. Well, it's psychology. Yeah. It's not economics, right? Mm. I mean, mm, Daniel sure. Kahneman won, won uh, a Nobel Prize in economics by being a psychologist and just <laughs> telling economists what everybody else already knew, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, everything ladders back to – well, everything you know that we do as humans ladders back to our humanness. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, It's kind of a weird thing to say. But yeah, e- economics is all psychology. Uh, everything we do is psychology. It's, mm. it's the weird things that these little monkeys do running around in the world. That's exciting, though. Humans are pretty great. Well, they can be. They can be pretty um, not great too. Sure. Um, but yes. I think the other big thing is often when you have to change something, particularly when you're quitting something, you have to admit that it's not working, which mm. means that you have to admit that you failed at something as well. You're yeah. like, um, this relationship isn't working. I failed mm. at this relationship. I failed at this job. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. I failed at this preoccupation with mm. becoming the world's best chess player slash comedian <laughs> slash whatever. Yeah. Um, and now I need to stop doing it. But I think it, that mm. combination, that clusterfuck of like yeah. sunken cost, um, <laughs> scared of change, cognitive dissonance and all its many facets, um, uh, like it makes yeah, it difficult. Uh, it's easy to just go with the flow and go, no, I'm just going to carry on doing this because then nobody's going to cry or yeah. complain or – yeah. Whatever. Look, I think for me, the, the thing that was the hardest was decoupling myself from the, the, the incentives, like the, the emotional incentives, right? So, I mean, anything that you're doing, whether it's a relationship or a job or, you know, whatever, um, 
it has it has little rewards built in it, you know, like whether, you know, and sometimes they're great rewards and sometimes they're not. And whether it's little, you know, these little gold stars you get from things. Um, and I, I guess for me, there was this moment of realizing that those rewards aren't things that are necessarily as meaningful to me as other types of rewards I could be getting, you know, right. I, that, that needs a name. That needs a fancy psychological. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Choosing that, that different thing. rewards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. But I, you know, I suppose part of it is the guilt that comes with, with feeling selfish. We've been brought mm. up being told that uh, you should live for others and think about everyone else and, mm. and be a really nice douchebag uh, <laughs> who ends up really sad and anxious and frustrated yeah. with life, but mm. at least has managed to keep all the people around them smiling. Um, And and really, like, the truth is that's just not possible. Uh, Mm. Those people are in charge of their own smiley faces. Mm. Um, You know, sure, you shouldn't be interfering with whatever it is going on in their life um, just because you're an asshole. Um, Yeah. You know, and I suppose that's what crime's based on, right? It's like, Mm. I don't really care what you're doing. Um, (laughs) Just don't hurt other people. Um, But but when it comes to happiness, that's really not something you're in charge of for other people. That's something Mm. they can only ever be in charge of for themselves. And so whether it's the boss that you're scared is going to be sad because he has to find somebody else to um, Mm. make spreadsheets for him because you're not there anymore. Or, you know, whether you're in a relationship with somebody who relies emotionally on you for the smile on their face. That's not really, Mm. it's it sounds horrible to say, but it's not really your problem. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, I mean, you know, my boss is an example, my big boss, Rob, who, you know, I admire deeply, deeply, um, does amazing things in the world because he does Sorry, exactly you mean your the thing. My, if I seem to be ex-boss, wow, that's weird. <laughs> um, you know, does amazing things in the world because he just, you know, marches to the beat of his own drum in many ways. And that that is selfishness in a way, that kind of visionariness that we admire in other people. That yeah. comes from people who say, you know what, like, I don't want to go and do the thing that everyone else is telling me to do i'm going to go do this entirely new thing there's something inherently very selfish about that motivation and although i sometimes wonder yeah like rob aside i'm not talking about rob now but i sometimes wonder (laughs) if we don't misidentify that quality in other people you're like (laughs) wow look at that guy like he just did it his own way man he was frank sinatra and look at how awesome his life is what you don't know is that he's just had a really nasty fight with that girlfriend that you thought was perfect and actually his last relationship (laughs) fucked out because there was just nothing else for it to do Mm. (laughs) and somebody walked out on him or her um i don't know i sometimes feel like it's just a big act you see these people Mm. with their perfect lives who are always happy and tell you how always happy they are um, but mm. if you were able to be a fly on the wall for every second of the day, mm. you'd realize pretty quickly that their life is just as shitty as you perceive yours to be. No, totally. Or not. I don't know. Maybe these people do exist. You sound pretty happy, Sam. You aren't acting, are you? No, no, I actually am pretty happy right now. Um, I went to this amazing thing last night. I mean, you, you lived in Joba. Did you ever hang out at Baseline in Newtown? Uh-huh. Dude, I not only hung out in Baseline in town. I was there when it became the Baseline. My friend DJ Bob uh-huh. used to run the lineup there. I've I've introduced bands at the Baseline. I've DJed at the Baseline. Uh, it's a it's a good place. It's awesome. It's such a great place. 
Yeah. So uh, I don't know if they, they had this back, you know, when you were involved, but um, the, on Wednesdays, most Wednesdays, they have this thing called the Lab of Learning, uh, which is which is so lovely. So they started off, uh, you know, with a kind of really excellent set um, from, from some jazz guys. But then the second half of the evening, they have uh, students in the crowd uh, who've brought along their, you know, various assorted instruments, which is really funny because you walk through the crowd and you sort of trip over a trombone, you know, and the instruments are, are weird and wacky. Um, and then people sort of write their name down and it's sort of an open mic thing. So people come up and jam with each other, um, some of whom have never jammed together before. But what was really sweet is last night um, there was a there was a big, it looked like a first year Vitz class, I think, a big group of them who were all together. And they're rehearsing for exams that they've got uh, today. Um, and they were all up there and they were practicing. And they were awful. Uh. They were really bad. Like they kept missing the notes. Uh, they were completely like out of out of sync with each other but it was beautiful like it was so brave and wonderful to watch them trying and failing and getting better and sucking and kind of sucking in public it was it was a beautiful beautiful thing i was so you know inspired by these these 19 year olds you know getting up on a stage and just being awful but doing it and learning and failing yeah was, this whole cult of failure though i think is becoming a little problem with uh, our generation it's like mm. there's, Although, a, there's actually an ex- excellent post written, which I need to go and find now, about how failing is not a cause for celebration. And, and I deal with a lot of people <laughs> who seem to think that it is just because they have failed. Mm. And it's like, uh, no, you don't understand. Yeah. Failing is not cool. It's something you should do really quickly. So you should get out of the way and you should be happy that you failed yeah. because now you know that the thing wasn't working and you should be happy that you realized that very mm. quickly so that you could start doing other stuff and stop fucking about and wasting money. But... Failing mm. in itself is still a cuck thing. Like that's not what we set out mm, to do. Totally. I mean, that's that's the cult of the entrepreneur, right? And there's all these things about fail fast, fail soon. You know, I'm a serial failure. Yeah, it is. It's kind of been sort of glamorized in, in a weird yeah, inverse way. But like way. playing the trombone is something you think you'd like. Then play the fuck out of the trombone and do it as much as possible and as fast yeah. as possible so that if, you know, for whatever reason, it turns out that you're pretty cuck as a trombone player or you don't actually like it as much as you thought you would, <laughs> that you realize that really quickly yeah. so that you can move on to the saxophone uh, or making small wooden boxes yeah. or whatever Maybe. it is that you're going to be better at and will fulfill you more. Yeah. So that's actually my deepest fear in life, though, is that maybe I'm really bad at the things that I care the most about. Like, um, so, you know, like writing, you know, the, the, the single thing that I, I want to, you know, have done a lot of by the time I die is write really great things that, you know, people read and, and it climbs into mm-hmm. their, their hearts or something, you know. But, um, you know, I know that I'm very good at uh, running a team and writing strategies for corporates. I'm, I know I'm pretty good at that stuff, but it, wouldn't it be awful <laughs> if you were really good at... At, I don't know the the worst things. If you were a really good accountant, but all you really wanted to be was a trombonist, but you just weren't a good trombonist. Oh, you know what? Sad. The other thing that always <laughs> strikes me when we have these conversations is how terribly first world problems this all is. You know, it's like oh, I know. we have this extreme <laughs> luxury of um, of spare time, of you know, ha- actually mm-hmm. having hours in the day where we can go. Hmm, I wonder if I'm using these hours in the best possible way. And there are people out there yeah. who have no choice but to sweat, toil, work mm. the earth, um, beg, steal, yeah. borrow, and and basically no, fucking grind their way through every single day just to subsist yeah. and live without this amazing mm. luxury of free time that our privileged asses have grown totally. up with and now actually mm. are seeing as a problem. It's uh, yeah, totally. 
And it's the, the first time in human history this has really happened as well. I mean, I, so I was uh, reading this great thing, I can't remember where, the other day, that was talking about um, trends in intergenerational uh, wealth creation uh-huh. or whatever. And there was this, this theory that they were espousing. It wasn't very well backed up with data, but I thought it was anecdotally quite, quite fun um, about how you, the way it sort of tends to go when you have generations that, you know, improve their lot is you have the first generation who, you know, just work three jobs and save every cent they can to give their kids a better life those the next generation the first generation who who manages to get an education they become professionals you know they go into the kind of the the safe routes and you know they follow the dreams of their parents that they could never have and they become professionals and the second generation uh, after that sort of become sort of business people and entrepreneurs kind of a little bit more free but still kind of in that space and then the third generation become artists or documentary makers, um, and then they or lose all the money. Self-absorbed children, basically. <laughs> and totally, you know, they just they they have more and more luxury, and then eventually kind of cycle yeah. right back into poverty. Um, is the theory, which which anecdotally, I mean, I I, I think I, I buy can it. see that playing out in. But you know, every now totally, and then you, yeah. you get exposed I, to reality, and I think that's something that probably happens to us in South Africa more than than elsewhere in the semi-developed world is. You know, like one of the ladies mm. I work with, her car was broken into again last night for the 18th time. And she went to the police station to report mm. it this morning, got to the front, spoke to the police officer, filed the report. The police officer says to her, by the way, do you need somebody to help clean your flat? Um, because I have two days a week and please, I really need work. Like if, <laughs> you know, wow, and, and like geez. that's the reality yeah. of um, police people working in South Africa. Um, mm. And, mm. and it's like, really? This lady is, is, yeah. is filing reports, doing paperwork at a police station and probably facing mortal danger at night, uh, protecting us, yeah. uh, begging for extra work to come and clean people's crappy apartments so she can, I don't know, feed totally. her kids or whatever. And I'm actually mm. sitting mm. here listening to a conversation uh, in a coffee shop between two <laughs> hipsters who are wondering whether their near perfect relationships are perfect enough or whether they should be stopping doing this so they can pursue themselves or go to fucking India and sit in yeah. a rock and just like what the fuck are you people talking no, about? It's sickening. No, it is sickening. And uh, so, you know, I, so I didn't actually know this. I knew that it was bad, but I didn't realize. Do you know that South Africa has the highest Gini coefficient in the world? We, we are the most unequal economic society in the entire world. The gap between the rich and the poor well, is the biggest here than anywhere else. Dude, I'm skeptical. I'll tell you why I'm skeptical. Uh, it's also when people say the AIDS situation in South Africa is worse than anywhere else in the yeah. world. You go, well, yes, out of all of the pro- places in the world that have an AIDS uh, problem, we're the only one with stats. <laughs> we're the only one measuring mm. this stuff. <laughs> like who the fuck knows if it's actually worse mm. than Ethiopia or Ghana or any of the other <laughs> godforsaken places on this continent where there just is nobody doing research or compiling accurate statistics. So, yeah. so it may be That's true. It feels like point. it probably is. I'd be very surprised if we're worse than India because the only thing worse than an, a, a, mm. a third world banana republic that doesn't measure things is one that does and then lies, which is pretty much what India is. So mm, mm. I'm sounding terribly unpolitically correct today, aren't I? <laughs> As opposed to all the other days when you carefully skirt around difficult issues, Simon. Yeah. yeah. I love our part of the world, I do, it's, but we're we're tragic at a lot of things and looking after people and yeah. and, and actually paying attention to science is, mm. is two of those things. Totally. It is a beautiful and fucked up place and yeah, 
anyway, but it's 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 interesting. Mm-hmm. Got to say that, that it is. It's very interesting, <laughs> Sam. Just like our privileged little lives. Our privilege is so interesting little, to on us. This little veneer of the <laughs> continent. No, I know. So true. Uh huh. Do you want to tell anyway. me about stuff that you think is awesome? Dude, I found this amazing thing. It's uh-huh. a, it's called Thingful, thingful.net. You must have a look immediately if you haven't thingful. already. Um, so net. it's basically this big library of uh, internet-connected devices all around the world. Uh, so you can go things. and search it. And you can kind of access open data streams that people have made public. Um, so there's a whole bunch in South Africa, like there's a petrol pump Whoa. somewhere in like Paris that's on this thing. And there's this, uh, this shark catching boy somewhere in Cape Town that's sending data that you can plug into. It is so exciting. And it's one of these, these amazing services where you, you just want to build stuff on top of it. And the whole point of it is sort of discover, you know, what things are creating data around the world or in your area. And then, you know, think about cool things you could do with that data. It's very cool. Wow. This is every data nerd's dream. I know, I know. Open data. It's very cool. I I cannot wait uh, for the SA government to, I mean, it'll take a few years, but to start getting on the the kind of open public data, um, you know, wagon, um, because there are some really, really smart hackers that will do very interesting things with it. Good hackers. Yes. Anyway, so thinkful.net. I love what's happening with this whole uh, open data movement. Um, It's profound, man. It's like, I think, you know, in in days gone by, (laughs) in the past, um, we we were told that, you know, we kind of shouldn't worry about these things and that all of this data, which was actually ours, belonged to someone else and that there were these authorities uh, that were in charge of it. And I Mm -hmm. think that's why, at least intellectually, things like Bitcoin are so interesting because as we've seen with every other form of information, in in an internet world, it wants to decentralize. It wants to kind of uh, gravitate towards the people mm. who it affects most closely. Um, and all of this open data stuff is just awesome because for the first time, we're seeing these massive data sets that before have kind of been lying dormant, now being used to make people's lives better. And that's, that's great. Totally. I think it just says such interesting things about citizenship as well. You know, there's so many things that we we sort of just throw our hands up at and assume is someone else's yeah. problem. Um, you know, like it's someone else's problem to analyze all the healthcare data and it's someone else's problem to do all these things. And it's amazing, you know, Wikipedia. Wikipedia has 10 full-time employees. That's yeah. it, you know, um, and, and has done amazing things. And if you can start to do that with healthcare data and with, you know, traffic data, there are so many smart people. It's the, it's the cognitive surplus theory, right? Like there's so many smart people with brains who have all the spare time that we all now have or that the lucky we're ones all of us have. so privileged. While we laze around our mansions. Um, and instead now we can, we can put that untapped information to work. We can do things with it. And there's such power of, you know, in just opening things, op- giving them to the world and seeing how the world plays with them. It's amazing. Anyway, so Thingful is great. Sounds great. 
the other exciting thing that's happening is uh, you look at like, for example, Apple's new programming language that they announced this week. Now, you know, love or hate Apple and what their intentions are with it. Um, they've got Swift now, which is sure as hell better than Turbo Pascal, which is what we learned at school. Um, but also a lot easier than something like Objective-C while still being pretty powerful. And I think like a, programming or code is just going to become something that everybody can do in time, mm. I hope. So I, I kind of am in two minds about that. Like, I think that's true, but I, I do often wonder whether it won't feel like coding. Like, I, I, it seems like the, in, the terp- interpretation layers are kind of getting so sophisticated mm. that, you know, by the time your kids are growing up, they will be coding in the sense that they will be building new things and they'll need to understand the logic of code and, you know, if while loops and shit, but they'll be able to yeah. do it by dragging and dropping some things together, not well, maybe I don't know. That's cool too. There'll always be people who have to understand the complexity to to some degree to carry on making the stuff. Yeah. But like, look at cars. I don't know how the, the engine in my car works, and mm-hmm. I don't need to. I can use my car to do really useful things. Yeah. Uh, and I can be really productive with my car. Um, like drag yes, race to be, the other cars. <laughs> yeah. There needs to be somebody who understands like how that stuff works, so that when my car breaks, I can take it to them and they can fix it. Also true. Um, but I don't need to be that guy in order to use a car to do something useful. And I think, <laughs> like, the whole software revolution uh, is heading that way. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Anyway, open data. Yes, more please. It's sexy. And kids who know how to do stuff with it. Totes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? What have you found this week that's been exciting? Um, well, I found a house uh, which is on a little strip of land next to a big um, – what's a flay in English? like a um a wetland yeah and um and it has no electricity um and if you want hot water you have to make a fire under thing (laughs) and it's awesome and i was there last weekend but that's not my my thing that i really love this week um the thing i really love there's a book by rufus lodge called fuck um and it's an irreverent history of the f word Mm. um and it's basically just a book about everybody's favorite word uh (laughs) where it comes from how it got into popular use, what are some of its best implementations, what are some of the words that have been derived from it. I mean, it's an interesting word if you're, if you're, into, if you're into words, mm-hmm. if you're into vocabulary. It's an amazingly um, flexible word. Well, that's it. It's one of the most versatile words in history. It also has a lot of power. And like weirdly, if I say, screw you, Sam, that doesn't offend uh, any precious ears, really. Uh, but if I say, fuck you, Sam, like that gets people going, man. Like, then I'm going to come really... over there and smash your face. Yeah, it means the same thing as screw you. Uh-huh. But like that word just carries so much weight and power with mm. it. So it's a fun book. It's really well written. Uh, it's super funny. Uh, if you are precious about swearing, then you probably shouldn't read this book because <laughs> it has lots of other swear words in it too. Uh, but it's a really great book. So, um, so fuck by Rufus Lodge. That sounds pretty fucking great. That's what great. I'm reading. Yeah, it is fucking great. Fucking great. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. So, so you're on your way to the US of A. I am. I'm going to Yale for a while and then Washington and then I have no idea where. And then at some point I'm coming back to do I have no idea what. And it's all very exciting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's different from the last time we spoke, but uh, <laughs> but I like it. It keeps changing. I know. But okay. they still have interwebs in the America. So I will still be able to yeah. phone you over the interwebs, which will be great. Fantastic. Uh, Long may the internet in America last and long may me chat over it. Okay. Well, Mr. Dingle, this has been lovely as always. 
Thank you, Sam. I will chat to you soon, I hope. Keep it real. Uh, travel safe. Thank you. And we will, we, I'll speak to you stateside. Okie dokie. Okay. Okay, bye you. Bye. Oh. Uh-huh.